good afternoon. Uh, let me first start off by thanking Gillian and ITS uh, for this opportunity to sort of uh, share some preliminary observations uh, uh, that I have. And I'll start off by uh, sort of registering my deep worry because uh, I'm not sure what I have to say is anything earth-shattering. Uh, a lot actually has been said um, um, from the morning uh, and a lot of what I'm saying is a reinforcement, uh, certainly my observations are a reinforcement of the points that uh, Gillian made, certainly uh, of the points that uh, Pinga made and uh, Chua, Bang, Chua, Chua Bing Huang made regarding what we were seeing uh, in uh, GE 2011. Okay. Although Gillian did say that I'm going to focus on, uh, on, on the ethnicity question here. Uh, my presentation is broken down into uh, several parts, uh, three main, main parts actually. Uh, I'll just start off uh, very briefly by giving sort of just my own observations regarding GE 2011 uh, and then go into what, what, I, what I was asked to do, which was to look at the question of whether this is really a transformed electorate and uh, to then break it down into two major categories, which is race and, race and ethnicity as well uh, as uh, gender. But I did include education, uh, education level here, which I'll go through very briefly, and then give sort of some very general observations and, and conclusions. They're really actually questions that I have, because uh, what I found going through the, the survey was that uh, there, there are actually a lot more questions that come up and that we, we can explore. So I'm approaching my whole presentation here as both an academic, uh, I'm trained in political science, so I'm coming from that angle. I think Penga will know uh, what this feels like. But also as an observer and a, a participant, as a Singaporean, because uh, uh, I participated in, uh, in the election. I participated in the 2006 election, and then I participated in the, in the 2011, uh, 2011 uh, election. And I guess in terms of my very quick general observations about the political landscape is that based on whatever I observe, and I think it registers with whatever people are saying, and it certainly registers in terms of the results, is that there is a perceivable difference uh, in the consciousness of people involved, uh, i.e. the voters, uh, with regards to what the election meant to them. Uh, one thing that came out very clearly in the survey, which uh, may have, uh, you may have missed in terms of the earlier data, maybe uh, actually Gillian talked about it in the beginning, was that in the 2011 uh, uh, survey, for example, the, those that were called up, uh, the percentage of those that actually voted was significantly higher than what we saw in 2006. So in the, 29, uh, the 2011 uh, survey data, you had 90% of those called up actually voted. And, and this was a, a perceivable difference that you could feel because this time, a lot more people could actually uh, go to the polls and register their vote. And I think it affects the consciousness uh, um, of voters in a significant way. I agree with the earlier observations regarding politics normalizing. Uh, I see this as, um, you know, initially I sort of made the point that we're looking at a changed political landscape. What I see is really a, polit a political landscape and an electorate that's really in, in transition, right? And that's reflected in my view of the uh, increasing percentages uh, or increasing uh, proportion in the swing categories. Uh, what I found were people were so much more engaged in the elections, uh, they were willing to listen and, uh, and really not necessarily have made up their minds about the issues, but obviously they were trying to figure out where they were going to stand on this. And again, 
uh, this was a perceivable uh, difference. There was a lot of excitement in the air that was very different uh, from, from uh, 2006. So in my view, what we're looking is that you know, this is a politics in transition as I look at it. And similarly, it's really an electorate uh, in transition. Let me quickly check the time. Okay. So let me get uh, to the data per se. Like everybody else, or like basically what everybody else has been saying, in my view, when we're looking at the electorate, this is what I see is really the emergence or the emerging middle class in my view. I don't want to confuse everybody again. But the point that Peng He had brought up and also uh, Beng Wat is that uh, in political science theory, when people uh, go up the social econo uh, economic ladder, when uh, there are higher education levels, uh, generally the movement is towards a much more liberal position or much more pluralist position. You want greater political accountability, you want uh, political competition and so on and so forth. Uh, and in my view, the survey results and also the election results actually reflect that. So I agree with you know, the point that everybody is making is that what we're seeing is really a normalization. And that's a reflection of how society has changed. Uh, one element that has gone into perhaps the emergence uh, or reinforcement of this in this election potentially is the issue about the climate of fear. Uh, that you know, coming down, allowing for this registration a lot more clearly. So, if for, so to reinforce this, if you look at the survey results, the higher the education level, the more so-called quote-unquote liberal the perspective. Uh, you can go to the, the results uh, that were handed out to you. I didn't put them out here. So if you look at the diploma and university level uh, voters, uh, they place a greater importance in having elected members of the opposition. This correlates very nicely with income and, and so on and so forth. Uh, they are also less likely to see the current electoral system as fair to all parties. Again, about political competition, accountability, and so on. Uh, on the whole, university and diplo diploma level uh, voters found the opposition uh, parties more credible compared to those with a secondary level uh, or lower. So again, with uh, regards to the emerging middle class, the higher the level of education, the more important the internet uh, again, this point was made, uh, and I think Arun and Kenneth will come back to this, much more important uh, in shaping their views. The higher the level of education, the more important the factor of immigration and uh, foreigners. So in my view, this is a normalization of the situation. So we're seeing now uh, a much more aware, um, this was a point that Alex had brought up earlier, uh, and a much more assertive, I suppose, middle class. And uh, within you know, uh, political science frameworks, this is a normalization. This is what uh, it should be. This is where the movement is towards. And so uh, for those of us coming from that perspective, what we're seeing is, is uh, simply a movement in that direction, okay? So uh, on the question of race and ethnicity, so what I've done here is just look specifically uh, at uh, the data that was given to me by uh, Gillian regarding um, the differences based on uh, ethnic groups, so Chinese, Malay, Indian, and others. And I thought what I would just bring out for you, and then we can get into it uh, in the discussion, about some of uh, what were the interesting data. I, I, I have to admit that I, I could, could not possibly cover all. There's actually some very interesting stuff here. Uh, but I just highlight that has, uh, you know, statistically is particularly significant, okay? So again, a lot of this is not that surprising uh, in terms of uh, what mattered, what didn't matter, but some things are. So cost of living mattered more to Malays and Indians as compared to Chinese voters. Uh, this was statistically significant. Uh, 
terms of different views in parliament, uh, this mattered more to Malays as compared to the Chinese voters. Uh, again, these points are statistically significant. Uh, the importance of neighbourhood facilities, this mattered more to uh, the Indian community and Malays as compared to the Chinese. Uh, job situation particularly mattered more to Malays than to the Chinese. Now, issues of cost of living, job situation uh, for those of us that work with minority communities, particularly the Malay communities, this is not surprising because of the, so, um, the socio-economic uh, level of majority of Malays, the concerns of unemployment and so on and so forth. Uh, upgrading was uh, also an important issue to the minorities here, I mean Indian uh, and Malays as compared to the Chinese. On the issue of candidate characteristics, uh, for the Malays, it was particularly significant that the candidates were hard, uh, hard working and the credentials of the candidates uh, were also very important as compared to the other races. Uh, interestingly uh, also, particularly for me, is the issue about community work and grassroots. I think this may require some deeper investigation in terms of exactly what is meant by community work and grassroots connection. Uh, but this was particularly important to Malays as compared to the other races. Uh, earlier I was uh, speaking to a friend of mine who said that, well, this is uh, fairly obvious because Malays tend to like the gotong royong, kampong uh, um, uh, sense, and therefore they would like, uh, this is something that's always been important and it's not something uh, new uh, from that perspective. Uh, the candidate's political party affiliation was also more significant for the Malays as compared to the other two races. On communication channels, uh, TV, radio, door-to-door -door communication, internet, the rallies, family and friends, actually it was a whole long list, that were actually far more important to the Malays as compared to the Chinese, again statistically significant. So it seems mainstream media, particularly TV and radio, remain important for Malays, but internet was also important. Uh, this is uh, emphasized by a later uh, result regarding uh, the centrality of internet in the decision-making process. Uh, newspaper was a far more important communication channel for Indians as compared to the Chinese. I'm just flashing this out, okay? On the credibility of political parties, uh, the PAP was most credible to Indians and others, followed uh, in terms of the CMIO model, followed by Malays and then Chinese, but this is not statistically significant. This was a point that Gillian brought up, uh, if you remembered earlier on, uh, point one zero, uh, the Malays was a point two six. The NSP and SDP were viewed as credible by Malays in contrast to the Chinese, again statistically significant. Um, this actually popped up uh, and um, I'm not quite sure, I'm curious uh, to investigate exactly what goes into this. I was going to speak to Hazel uh, over lunch, but I think I'll explore it later. Or maybe she can address this when she gives her talk. Uh, Workers' Party was viewed by Malays as less credible vis-a-vis -vis Chinese and Indians. But again, this was not statistically significant. Just on the issue of the Workers' Party, I raised this because at least among some of the, the group that um, I was engaged in, there was a question particularly very close to the election when it became increasingly, you know, that anxiety that, that uh, Dean was talking about, um, at least among the Malay community, that uh, the Workers' Party could make some inroads. And then there was a concern over whether the Workers' Party would really champion Malay issues and who represented Malay Muslim issues within the Workers' Party. Uh, and I'll come back to this uh, uh, later on for the Malay community. Okay, gender 
which I was asked to look at in GE 2011. I can go through this very fast. I was asked to look at this, but the reality, and it's not a technical error here, uh, the reality is blank because <laughs> gender did not factor significantly in uh, the 2011 uh, elections. Uh, we can go into why this is so, but it's actually very interesting because in other parts of the world, gender is a key factor and we can discern differences in political attitudes. Uh, and so the gender category can come up, but in Singapore, we don't see a difference. And so we can go into exploring exactly how gender uh, factors into it uh, and why it does not, or persistently does not, I suppose. Okay, just let me conclude because I'm uh, run over time very quickly. Uh, I, I'll just end off uh, with a few points to ponder and some questions. I'm looking specifically at the Malay electorate. Uh, of course, that's my own area of interest. The IPS survey points to some interesting data. Uh, if you look at the cluster analysis, it appears that within, uh, for the Malay electorate, it's the biggest move into the swing category. Um, there is a premium that's put on grassroots and community leadership when evaluating candidates. Uh, there, there's an obviously a greater inclination now to consider opposition parties, but particularly NSP and SDP, and a, you know, somewhat less for the Workers' Party, and significant importance that's placed on the internet in terms of influencing their decision. Uh, it does raise for me, particularly in terms of the swing, uh, this issue of an electorate, again, if we're talking particularly of the Malay electorate, that's changing in its attitude towards politics and leadership that is worth noting and further investigation. Uh, just prior to when people went out to vote, uh, you know, I was, people were asking me um, this point about, well, how do you think the, you know, the Malay community is going to vote? You know, traditionally, they're very loyal to the PAP. Do you think that you're going to see a swing? because of uh, MM's comments re, uh, that was captured in his book, The Hard Truth. Uh, it's n it's n there may be some impact, but what, appear what, what comes up much more clearly in GE 2011 is that uh, it's not so much that there's led to a swing, as in completely to the other side, but certainly within the Malay community, there is uh, a, a, signi a growingly significant number that's rethinking uh, what the landscape looks like. Right? Uh, and this may be something that uh, we'll have to uh, uh, take uh, into account and look at uh, and certainly explore uh, much further. Okay? Uh, the Malay electorate is generally assumed to be supportive of the PAP, less trusting of the opposition because the opposition, with the exception of the PKMS, which did not factor at all in this election, was not seen to be championing so-called Malay Muslim issues. Uh, but again, this is uh, really a lot of it an assumption because the full extent of this is, we haven't really gone out to actually try to show it. Uh, why this assumption is there? Uh, issue of minority protection, uh, because uh, traditionally uh, there's been the view that the ruling party and the government continues to protect minorities, uh, ensures that we have uh, you know, racial harmony and it's the interest of minority communities to uh, support the ruling party and also the issue of socioeconomic status and help for government because uh, more and more Malays are on the lower levels and are heavily dependent uh, on government um, um, help uh, via the CDCs and so on and so forth. So traditionally, they've assumed to be much more supportive of that, which was why when um, the, uh, just before people went out to vote, uh, you could cash in your, your, your dividends, right? Uh, you know, that was when, okay, yeah, um, 
it's going to be an assured uh, sort of uh, movement in favor of the ruling party. Uh, so when MM made those comments, uh, a lot of analysts were wondering to the extent to which you know, that would swing Malay voters away. Uh, I reiterate, I think it's not clear, but the survey results indicate um, that the Malay voters may be opening up to a much more complex array of concerns and possibilities which we have looked at. Uh, I'm, of course, particularly interested, I think, in moving forward by, you know, on, the, uh, on the issue of uh, this grassroots connection and uh, community leadership. Okay? So I'll stop here because I'm totally out of time, and then we can come back to this uh, in the discussion. Thank you.